Welcome into the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dentz. I got to tell you an unusual story. I haven't even told our guest this yet. I think he's going to be amazed when I tell you this story. I was sitting in my living room and I'm thinking about how to do this first interview after Christmas. I wanted something enlightening, something uplifting after the Christmas holiday. I realized that this first interview after Christmas wasn't going to land on the Christmas holiday, that this was kind of an unusual show set in that True Crime Tuesday was going to fall the day after Christmas and that these shows were going to fall after Christmas, but still on Christmas week. I wanted to have a lighter week and I wanted something uplifting and inspiring. And as I was sitting there on my couch, I know some of you may roll your eyes. Some of you may go, oh, wow, this is really cool. I thought to myself, you know something? I said, you know, God, I need a little inspiration here. I need a little, like a lightning bolt from the blue, if you would. I need a little help because I'm looking for some guest that would be uplifting. Give me an idea here, you know, because sometimes... I find if I ask for a little help, sometimes a guest will jump off the page at me or something will jump off my screen at me, whether it be on my iPad or my phone. And sometimes ask and ye shall receive. It's kind of interesting that way. No sooner do I ask for that help, that heavenly help, than bam, in my messenger shows up our guest. I kid you not. And he says, hey, Tim, I have a new book out there. I said, you got to be kidding me. And it just so happens that it's about his life and this uplifting story about his life. And I'm flabbergasted. And I said, you know what? It's going to fit in perfectly Christmas week. And that, my friends, is an absolutely true story. Bill Bean is a world-renowned exorcist, spiritual deliverance minister, and is known as the Spiritual Warrior. Bill has helped thousands of people in America and others in 55 countries worldwide. Bill Bean's spiritual warfare ministry addresses anything from curses to blocks to attachments to obsession, oppression to demonic possession. He is also an internationally known author, lecturer, and supernatural expert. Bill is currently appearing in episodes of A Haunting, Ghost Nation, and Fright Club, along with a 2019 episode of The Holzer Files. Uh, Bill is also featured in the Lifetime Movie Network series, I Was Possessed. Uh, Bill regularly joins George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM and has also appeared in two episodes of George Norrie's TV series, Beyond Belief. He's a star of uh, House of the Dead and author of Dark Force Delivered, 10 Steps to Victory, The Connection, Stranger Than Fiction, Dark Force Revisited, The Seventh Book, Stranger Than Fiction 2, Purge, Tales from an Exorcist, and My Life, The Bill Bean Story. All great books and all books I encourage you to go out and read. Bill has a podcast you can listen to every Friday night called Warrior Mode. We have a link to it in the description of this program. He's appeared on the Glenn Beck podcast on Friday, August 14th, 2020. Bill has been featured in four articles in the UK's Daily Star newspaper as well. And he's appeared in the 2010 sci-fi movie, The Haunted Boy. Uh, and has appeared in many TV shows about the paranormal and supernatural. Bill has given over 2,000 media interviews 
make it 2001 now, and has been covered in many news programs, books, magazines, and newspapers worldwide, including this podcast right here, Darkness Radio. Let's welcome him back one more time. Let's welcome in Bill Bean. Bill, how you doing, brother? Doing great, brother. Thank you for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on with you. And uh, really excited about, uh, you know, discussing the new book. And isn't that amazing how God works? Our God is an awesome God, and He does know our needs, and He does answer prayer, and He certainly answered yours. And here we are. Here we are. I uh, Man, was I shocked. It was just like, boom, like that. And, and it took no more than two seconds. It's the fastest I've ever had a prayer answered. Normally, normally I have to wait, you know, five, 10 minutes, but this one was about two seconds. And I was, I was absolutely shocked. The new book is my life transformation from victim to victor. Yeah. Let's talk about the word victim. First of all, Bill, because having a victim mentality sometimes is the wrong way to go about more than sometimes all the time is the wrong way to go about things. But we get in that mentality sometimes, the victim mentality, Bill, and it's hard to get out of that mentality. So let me ask you, first of all, when you're dealing with people who are oppressed, how do you get them out of that mindset to get them into the mindset of wanting to be saved? It's very difficult, Tim. It's it's certainly not impossible, but it is uh, a titanic uh, task. And I know that from personal experience. So this is why God chose me to do this work in the first place is because of being there and suffering. I know what it's like to suffer. And I take the sufferings of others very seriously and very personally. Now, the blessing in this, and there are many blessings, but one of the blessings is that when someone reaches out to me for help, and if I go to them, uh, if I'm having a session with them, they can relax and let their guard down in knowing that I have been there so we can forge a bond. Now I could be the most brilliant scholar in the world, but if I've never had the experience, well then I can't come together with that person that is affected and being victimized. Mm -hmm. So God knows what he's doing and he chooses people for certain tasks. And I do believe that he called me into service. Uh, At first I thought God must have a sense of humor. How in the world, what can I do to help anybody? But, but now I perfectly understand why God chose me to do this work and is the greatest thing in the world to know that God actually worked through me to help somebody. So where we start, I guess our, our, our starting off point is, and sometimes it becomes standoffish and other times it's been confrontational to the point of almost physical altercation. Um, when people are victimized and when they've suffered a variety of traumas, uh, it is very difficult for them to open up and talk about these things. So again, even though they know I've been there, even some of those people uh, have had great difficulty. I remember one case that took uh, over 30 minutes for the victim to be able to finally get the words out to tell me what had happened. So as part of these deliverances, exorcisms, whatever you want to call them, um, I have to be every bit as much of a counselor as a spiritual warrior. So that's where it starts. You know, I'll come into someone's house. I say a a variety of prayers, several prayers, including a house blessing prayer. Then I sit down and I have to put on the, uh, 
the the persona of the counselor um, to get the story. And the reason that I have to know, and it's not that I want to know everybody's deep and dark secrets. I have to know them in order to break every link of every chain that the devil has built over that victim. And so we must purge this to get it up and out and off. And then I can engage those uh, demonic forces in spiritual warfare, binding, rebuking, and casting them out, you know, by the power of God working through me. And so it is very much a process, but the victim must have the will and desire to be free from not only the demonic oppression or whatever's going on, but free from the behavioral pattern that develops. And I know because I had developed a behavioral pattern myself, you know, being in the fear-based trauma-based way of thinking and living. Mm -hmm. And so it is very difficult, but not impossible. And that's where warrior mode comes in. I urge the person to trade the fear in for faith, strength, and courage, AKA warrior mode. And if we can make that change, then a magnificent transformation is going to start to take place to where the person is transformed, just like I was, from victim to victor. And it is a process. In my life, in my case, it was two steps forward, three steps backward until I got there. And that happens for some people, although there have been other cases to where God has worked through me. And boom, the person made that transformation and never had another problem like that again and went on to have a great life. But in some cases, it is how mine was uh, a process. So I have to also remain in that person's life to be um, a sense of stability, encouragement, uh, a sense of power by God's power working through me to empower them, to help them move forward. Uh, I currently have some clients, you know, like that. There are, uh, like I just stated, you know, some cases one time, the change comes, the person is great. They never have a problem again. There are other situations. Uh, I have clients that I have weekly sessions with via phone or Skype that um, there still need that push and encouragement to break the behavioral patterns to be able to move forward in warrior mode. So uh, I just try to to be there for anybody and everybody, again, by the power of God working through me. I, I have clients from all over the world. Um, I'm up till 6.30 a.m. every morning. Uh, I could be on a session with somebody from Australia or India or somewhere like that, Switzerland, wherever it may be, you know, five in the morning, six in the morning. Um, it is a life that started out for me being so cursed that it was seeking death, but God saved me. And he did bring forth miraculous transformation in my life. And now I have a life, Tim, that is so blessed that I wouldn't trade my life for anybody's life on this planet. Let me ask you this, Bill, because it, it's there's there's two ways that, that someone can turn to wanting to embrace evil in order to lash out. Like you said, you could be fear-based or trauma-based, or you yeah. could have been bullied and badgered to the point where you want to embrace evil and lash out and, and use it as a partner or think you're using it as a partner. Yeah. And you point out so eloquently in your book, my life transformation from victim to victor that you're never a partner with evil. 
you never truly are. Can you explain to our audience what that means, that you're never a partner with evil, how evil eventually takes you over? Uh, and you're absolutely right, Tim. And and again, thank you for taking the time to read the book, because there is a case in there that uh, Tim is referring to that. And, and there are many. I've had many cases like this where uh, a, a young man was um, a molested as a child. And, and that right there in itself is the opening for demons to come on a person in the first place, because not only are they filling the perpetrator to commit such a wicked and heinous act? But then once that level of trauma has been established, they go on to the victim and they will stay there until they're evicted until someone like me, by the power of God, it's not that I'm anything special. It's the power of God working through me to evict them. Uh, but that's the case. And it, it was in this young man's life. Um, and he was very bitter, very angry, and then he was bullied and picked on, you know, at school. And uh, he, he was just in that mode of uh, being victimized over. And that's what the devil wants. He wants to keep people in patterns of destruction because the M.O. is to kill, rob and destroy. So it got to the point to where now, you know, he felt that God had abandoned him. He had great anger towards God. And he decided that he was going to embrace satan and make a deal literally make a deal with the devil sell his soul and then uh was ended up being part of a a, a cult or, uh and, and they were doing ritual animal sacrifices and um he was probably on his way to doing worse and he thought he had kinship and fellowship and partnership with the devil. But then that started to quickly deteriorate to where he then came under physical demonic attack, demonic possession, started physically attacking family members. They, the mother contacted me for help. And um, he was on the fast track to complete destruction. So that's where I say, you might think, that you have some type of bond or fellowship or kinship with the devil wrong. He will use you. He will abuse you. And then he will trash you like yesterday's garbage. When he's done doing everything that he can do, he'll send those demons in, you know, to collect. So, so when, and, and whether this person is uh, how this victim was or people in the entertainment industry, they know who they are. And more importantly, God knows who they are. The devil will come collecting. And when he does, it's going to be disastrous, could be even the end of the person's life. And um, so for those of you out there, please listen to what I'm saying to you. If you think that you're in league or have fellowship or partnership with the devil and his demons, you are grossly mistaken because there is no such thing. Uh, the devil hates human beings. OK, so he has a specific mission as the adversary to mankind that uh, just as Yahweh our God sends angels to us, the devil will send demons. He mimics everything that God does and puts a vulgar twist on it. So he just looks for openings. So all life operates on frequency and vibration. And, and the reason for that is because when Yahweh spoke the world into existence, he did so by the frequency and vibration of his voice. So all life operates on that principle. The devil knows it. He knows how to manipulate the frequencies and vibrations. So if we're on high, 
life is good. Life is positive. We're moving forward. Everybody has challenges in this sin-filled fallen world. But the difference is for the person that has a real authentic relationship with God, he will have a covering over you and he will help you to meet the challenges and overcome them. And for the person that doesn't have faith, they are at the mercy of the devil and disastrous things could uh, happen as a result of that. And the devil loves every minute of it because he truly is the adversary. And when the little crack in the door comes, he'll send demons to kick it in. And so it goes right back to having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, rather reprove them, which means expose and, and so that's where you want to be on the other side of it. And uh, Tim, I can't tell you how many times I could give so many examples throughout my career of people that have done that to where they thought that they were going to have a certain fellowship with the devil. And it ended up, you know, in just disastrous type of situations. I, I I'm wondering here, Bill, now you take someone who has, again, went through that, that trauma-based or, or anger-based twisting and, and mm-hmm. decided to, I don't want to say decided to, but has, has fallen into that evil trap. Yeah. And you tell them, now we want to sub, sub that out or we want you to embrace warrior mode. Is it an easy transition? Is it easy for you to say, you know what, we can take that power you felt with evil and now you can feel it with good or is it really a battle to to it is a battle to show them that it was a real battle with that young man you know that took hours and hours and and it's a uh, back and forth battle just think pro wrestling uh the the premise of the you know the good guy versus the bad guy and the struggle and the battle uh is same thing you know i mean this is so so god is working through me to wear down those demonic forces. The devil's working through them to try and wear me down. It's, it's a process. And I always thank Yahweh and praise him for working through me to conquer those evil forces. I can never thank him and praise him enough for it, but it's very much a battle and a struggle. And in the beginning of that, I, you know, the back and forth, um, I continued to say to the young man, you know, do you, renounce Satan and all of his works and and do you come back now to Yahweh and accept Yahshua Jesus the Christ and he kept shaking his head no no so it was just back and forth they went on for hours Tim but then finally um, God did work through me to wear those demonic forces down and another interesting thing that happens is when a person is uh, delivered from a demonic possession um, think of somebody grabbing you by your shirt collar and holding you up against the wall and you can't move, you know, this person's got you pinned to the wall. And then when those demonic forces are evicted, it's as if they've let go and then the person slumps and they start to cry. And that that happens uh, pretty much in every case of demonic possession I've been involved in. And uh, so then everything changes after that. And, And I have to sit down after that, even though the person is, clear and free from uh, all the demonic clutches and possession. Now I have to sit down again as a counselor. We have to put a game plan together for that person's life and moving forward. And part of that game plan is to ensure that the doorways remain closed that allowed that in, in the first place. And if a person is delivered from evil 
and they go back to something, you know, whether it be ritual, invocation, invitation, whatever it may be, uh, and open that doorway again, that seven more wicked than the original will come back. I guess my question here is, Bill, is, you know, you mentioned pro wrestling before and in the, I guess the eternal story is always this, is that in the end, good always triumphs over evil, that good always has a little bit more of an edge over evil. Always will. So knowing that, why would you ever mess with evil to begin with, even if it's only temporary gains or temporary power? You know, I, I realize that at the time you've got this, evil physical force that may have more power over you and may be scary and may overpower you temporarily. But in the end, the Calvary, so to speak, is going to come in and it and is going to overpower that bully that's standing in front of you. Yeah. Is it because this good power is so far away and maybe isn't seen to begin with? What is it that makes us want to choose this temporary evil power so quickly over the ultimate good. I think what has happened here, um, A, when a person feels like their prayers aren't being answered, now they start to get bitter and angry. And why is God, God's not hearing me. God's not with me or for me. I might as well just go over, you know, with the devil because God's, he, he doesn't, uh, he's not helping me and, and I pray all the time. And he, but what's happened here, and this has been going on, and I've got a timeline and I've talked about it many times before. Um, I would say it became very prevalent in the mid 50s to where there was a concerted effort to break up the American family and to bring forth a separation between God and man and to really mess with the faith of people. And so this has been going on, in my opinion, since the, uh, 1956. And here we are today in just a sinful, a sin-filled, cesspool, fallen world. And a lot of people don't have real faith. So it's easy for a person to say, oh, God, I need you to do this or that or but they don't have any real faith. And, and this is by design. So if you're breaking up the family, you know, that saying a family that prays together stays together. That's a true saying. And if you're breaking that up, now you're breaking up the relationship between God and the person. And, and so um, people could say all day long, Oh, I pray I have faith, but do you, do you have a real and authentic relationship with God? Do you? And that's where you have to step outside of yourself and say, okay, where, you know, where, where am I with God? Do I, am I really devoted to him? Am I really making him first? Let me tell you this right now. I have faith that's stronger than steel. God is first in my life. He'll always be first in my life. He won't be second anywhere or anything. Um, That doesn't mean that I have a perfect life. That doesn't mean that I'm perfect. What it does mean is that I have blessed assurance and that God is with me and for me. And if God's with me and for me, then nothing or no one is going to stand against me because I have that level of faith that no matter what happens, he's going to be there to help me to meet whatever challenge it is and overcome it. There's no way, Tim, that I could do the things that I do or have done the things that I have done by the power of God working through me 
a human couldn't withstand those things. There is just no way. So now you're talking about the supernatural power of God that's coming through me to do supernatural things. And so that's the difference. And that's why these things are happening now. So uh, for those of you out there who may be listening, please step outside of yourself and say, am I really making God first and keeping him first? Do I have a real authentic relationship with him? How can I draw closer to him? Because I know the closer that I draw to him, the closer he will draw to me. Go to my website, billjbean.com. Click on prayers to God. Click on inspiration. Feed your spirit with it on a daily basis, and you will see major positive change in your life. Just a, You just inspired an interesting question uh, to my head here, Bill, and that's this. You know, a common clapback to uh, this subject when we cover it on air, a lot of people think, you know, the, the subject of demons is kind of sexy to cover or exorcism is sexy to cover. But the minute you bring up God, that's uh, why is it so heavy in God talk? Why are we talking about God? Is it possible that, or is it not possible to have the supernatural without having God? Because is it possible to have aliens, demons, um, Bigfoot, and all this and not have God in the conversation? Because you even said it yourself. You that's said, what they would want. You, you, that- yeah, you said it yourself, and you, you put it kind of eloquently through me, supernaturally, through God. Or you, you, you said supernatural and God together, the supernatural yeah. power of God. Really, the workings of God are a supernatural act. Correct. That's where, that's where the supernatural uh, originates from. He's the source. So, so the devil is a created being, created by him, created by Yahweh. Created by Yahweh. People miss this, Tim. They don't understand this. He is a subservient, created being that's like, if you were to compare the creator, Yahweh, to him, you know, you're, you're talking about a mountain to a flea. Uh, and he knows that. But he's the master deceiver. He's the original liar and the master deceiver. So he is who God allows him to be. He serves a purpose, Tim. He's the adversary to mankind. That's why God doesn't destroy him. Furthermore, and this will be very controversial, what I'm about to say, because if I went into most churches and said this, they'd probably call the police to come in and have me removed. But I firmly believe it just the same. So I believe that when, and I wasn't there, so I can't verify it, but this is what I believe. This is my theory. Um, I believe that when creation took place here on this earth, because I believe that Yahweh's created many other places. Um, But when the creation event took place on this earth, and perhaps even before it did, uh, he created, I think, so God in Hebrew means gods. And that means Elohim, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, So Yahweh is the most high Elohim. Who are the Elohim? They are a race of beings, and I guess they would be gods, and Yahweh is the most high God. He's the most high Elohim. So um, so the Elohim were here. Yahweh was here with the Elohim. 
perhaps they assisted him in the creation process. And maybe that's why we have the different races and colors of people on the earth. Um, but I do believe that in the beginning, he created the devil first. Hasatan, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, blah, whatever you want to call him. He was a beautiful creature adorned with jewels and pipes inside of him. So he's a musical creature being. And he was assigned the role of the choir director in heaven. He was in charge of the praise and worship music. And then uh, Yahweh created the Melchizedek, the Christos, the anointed one, Yahshua, uh, a.k.a. Jesus, the Christ. And, and so when that happened, I believe that's where the rebellion started. And I think that that stirred anger and pride up in the devil, that he was certainly not going to be passed over for the younger brother. And uh, so that's where the rebellion started. He lost his place as the choir director, which was a very high, high position, obviously. And I believe that he and a third of the angels were cast out in flying craft. They weren't just thrown out of heaven. They landed down here on the ground on earth. They were cast out in those UFO flying craft. And so why does Yahweh have divine chariots? I don't know, but I do know that Psalm 68, 17 says the chariots of God are 20,000. Hmm. Chariots, there's 70 scriptures in the Bible that mention UFOs, flying vehicles, uh, uh, cloud, pillar of cloud, flying rolls, scrolls, disc, you name it. It's all in there. And so I firmly believe that when the devil and a third of the angels were cast out, they were cast out in those flying craft. They came down here. They took human women and had sexual relations with them, producing a hybrid offspring of giants called the Nephilim. The Nephilim went into the forest and in the fields and had unnatural sex acts with apes, bears, dogs, wolves, monkeys, you name it. And that is the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Sabe creatures. They are every bit as much supernatural as they are a flesh and blood creature. So they're part human, part angel, and part whatever that they had relations with. And that's why the Bigfoot Sasquatch Sabe creatures have different looks to them. And so I've written two books about this, Stranger Than Fiction and Stranger Than Fiction 2, and I outline what I believe, my theory, uh, as to how this all came about. And so all of this phenomena is all interconnected. The source is our creator, Yahweh Elohim, the Most High Elohim. He is the source creator of it all. And then when the devil came down here, he uh, and now is allowing him to have this short time on the earth to be in control. And here's another example. I want you to think about this, okay. and your listeners as well. Mm -hmm. We see in Matthew that when Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days, he's tempted by the devil. Now, I want you to think about this. Mm -hmm. So the devil comes to him and takes him. Who can take the Son of God anywhere? Well, he did. He took him to a pinnacle, a high place. Now, I believe he took him in a UFO craft, and he showed him the world. And I think he showed him the world on the screens that were inside of that craft. And he said, if you get on your knees and worship me, it's all yours. Who could say that? Who could say that to the Son of God except for his older brother who feels that the world is his birthright? There's no other way to reconcile that. 
You can't. And so it's always been this back and forth. Furthermore, if you read and study the Old Testament, it was always brother versus brother. From Cain and Abel, all Jacob and Esau, all the way through. It is that theme. So I am firmly convinced that what I'm saying is true. Can I prove it? Could I go into a court of law and prove it? Absolutely not. This is theory and conjecture, but I absolutely believe it to be true because it makes more sense than anything that I've ever come up with or heard or read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is why the struggle continues. This is why Yahweh will not destroy the devil because he is serving a purpose as the adversary to mankind. Now, I'm firmly convinced, Tim, that a great and terrible day is coming. When is it coming? I do not know because Yahweh did not tell me that. He hasn't even told Jesus that. Nobody knows when that day comes. But I do believe that we are advancing towards something that could be a momentous time. Now, furthermore, when we think about this, and, and I wrote in, write in the book about the multitude of ufo experiences that i've had throughout my lifetime continue to this day right um it all means something and it's all leading somewhere so we see now so when this all started for me uh which was back in this well i guess let's see the first sighting was uh 1977 i think we'll talk and, about those sightings here in the back half of the program but continue your thought okay yep. all right and and so um, it started there, and then I started to have these regular sightings in 95. But through all that, you know, people think you're crazy when you start telling people, hey, I'm having these experiences and I'm seeing these things. People dismiss you because if they're not having the experience, their mind just can't go there to accept that as normal or truth. So they will dismiss you as crazy. Um, but I find it interesting today that we see every day in the headlines they don't call them UFOs anymore. They call them UAPs, and they're everywhere, and everybody's seeing them everywhere, and the military's coming forth, and they're on the verge of disclosure. Well, guess what? This is leading somewhere. You, you can't keep it under the carpet anymore, and this is absolutely leading. Furthermore, same thing with the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Sabe creatures, and other phenomena as well. It all seems to be coming to the forefront now, and there's a reason for this, Tim. And I do believe that it is part of this day that is coming. Let me ask you real quick while we're on the Bigfoot subject. You know, you had the one that was filmed in plain sight recently, last yeah. couple of months, out there in Colorado. I mean, just yeah. sitting out in plain sight. What is your impression of that, of that video, just that video in itself? I take it you've seen the video, you know the video I, uh, I'm talking about? Yeah. And some people are dismissing it as hoax, but I just find it hard to believe how in the world could be a, a, a hoax. The, the creature, you know, the being looks huge mm -hmm. um, out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, I, I, it doesn't feel like a hoax to me. I, I, it just, it feels authentic to me. Do you, do you get the feeling when you watch the video that this is a, a creature being caught in its natural habitat that it's it's caught unaware or that it's it's there sending a message that it's doing something what is it doing sending a message because those in my opinion and i've uh, done a lot of and i've had personal experience but i've also and i've had personal encounters with invisible beings that i knew were these creatures um 
So I know they can make themselves invisible. So they are not going to be seen unless they want to be seen. Mm -hmm. And so there's some kind of message that's being sent. And same thing with the UFOs, UAPs, whatever you want to call them. Same thing. They don't want to be seen unless they want to be seen. And, okay. and so there is a message there. And I feel strongly, I could be wrong, but I, I feel strongly that uh, the message is that a momentous time is coming to where these things are going to be right out in the middle of everything of whatever's going to take place. Um, and that boy, is that ever going to be a shock for those that make come face to face or have them, you know, coming in. I, I'm reading stories now, Tim, that some of these Bigfoot uh, beings are coming into communities and, and like city areas now. Uh, so it's not just out in the woods and all this. I mean, they're coming. So there's a reason for this. They're, they're stepping into man's world for some reason. When you say momentous time or momentous occasion, are we talking a time of evil, a time of, of a clash, a time of good versus evil? Are we talking yeah. the end times? What are you, yes, what are you talking about? That's what about? we're talking. I mean, again, do I know when that is? No, but I, I firmly believe that we are headed for something like that. And if it is end times, if it is that day to where Yahweh's had enough, then perhaps he will send those beings out and those craft, those uh, UFO, UAP vehicles. Uh, and there's going to be this just hell on earth type of situation and, and just a clash in every way that you can think of, you know, think about society now today, Tim, mm -hmm. uh, people are so divided. They're more divided now than ever before. There is so much hate in the world. There's so much division and people are willing to kill for their causes and people are willing to die for their causes. And if suddenly everybody could just stop and say, wait a minute, what, what am I, what's my cause? What, so this is worth my life. This is worth me killing someone. Why? Uh, if everybody could just stop and say, wait a minute, let's follow the golden rule and let's treat others how we want to be treated. America and the world would change overnight instantaneously. Yeah. Because people would care about each other, but it's just the opposite now. And that shows me that the devil's fingerprints are on it because he is the author of confusion and division. And his MO is to kill, rob and destroy. There's a lot of division and derision where there shouldn't be. I, there's just a too too few people are sitting down and talking sensibly to one another. It's it's I don't know why. I, I I mean, you've put it eloquently that, you know, there's there's some other something at work here. Um, yeah, the forces of darkness are at work to divide and conquer the people. So if the people, again, let's say tonight, if we all said every supposedly, I always thought it was seven billion, but now magically it's eight billion on the planet. Uh, a billion people just magically appeared from somewhere. But anyway, be that as it may. If eight billion people said, "Hey, guess what? We're gonna, we're not gonna think like that anymore. We're just gonna treat others how we want to be treated," everything changes, and then evil is defeated because people are coming together, striving for the good of one another. There's nothing for the devil to chew on, so he would be defeated, and then he would have to retreat because he would be defeated. Then the world would literally be saved because people would have that type of mindset. But as long as we're in the mindset of what we have, these divisions, 
uh, it's it's working like a charm for the devil. And this is why we see, you know, some of the just most bizarre stories that we're seeing on a regular basis now of uh, the behavior of some individuals who just have no remorse or regard or anything for human life. I mean, we had that recent story with those kids out there. I think it was in Las Vegas. And they ran that man down who, who was a retired police officer was on a bicycle and, and they ran him down and then laughed about how they're going to be right back out with a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, Bill, let's take our break. When we come back, well, let's get into your story. Let's talk a little bit about um, how you were oppressed and how yeah. you again, we're, we're uplifted and, and got to where you are now. We'll, we'll talk about that uplifting story when we come back. And we'll, we'll get into the UFO thing a little bit and your UFO sightings and how they started in 95 and they seem to have continued all the way up into the current day. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between different UFOs that I've, I've noticed uh, in the back half of the book. So we'll do that when we come back. Uh, we've got a link in the description of this program to My Life, Transformation from Victim to Victor. I encourage you to go out and get the book uh, during the break. Very interesting book, folks. And it's an, it's an enthralling read, to say the least. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. So I encourage you to go out and get that book and read it right now. Again, My Life, Transformation from Victim to Victor. Bill Bean is the author and our guest right here on The Best in Paranormal Podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is Bill Bean, world-renowned exorcist, spiritual deliverance minister, and spiritual warrior. He has a brand new book out there, My Life, Transformation from Victim to Victor. And we're talking about that book today on the show. Uh, and we have a link to it in the description of this program. We encourage you to go get it right now. Uh, Bill, before the break, we were talking about your journey. And we're going to talk a little bit about your journey here. Uh, we've covered it a little bit in past programs, but I want to remind people just how far you've come from from your beginnings to to now. Uh, it's a one eighty, my friend. You've you've had quite the quite the courageous journey, if I could say so myself. Uh, tell people again how it started for you. And, and because there's a lot of turmoil and a lot of abuse in your background. Yeah, it's miraculous, Tim. It really is. Uh, for those who out there who scoff at the notion that God works miracles, I would strongly disagree with you because you're looking and hearing a living, breathing, walking, talking miracle from God. Um, my life could have been over so many times. I've been in many life-threatening situations. Um but God saved me every time and continues to do so. And I thank him and praise him for it. But, it, you know, it started out even from the very beginning, Tim, uh, two things happened when I was an infant. And this is so bizarre. I've never heard anything like this before, but I was told, you know, my parents are no longer here and most of my family is gone, but I have been told uh, by some family members that 
somehow, some way, and I have the scar to this day on my toe. Um, one of my toes on my right foot as an infant was severed. Ooh. And, and supposedly the story is that a hair wrapped around it from a nurse. I just can't, uh, I, I can't fathom that. Supposedly a hair wrapped around the toe and severed the toe. But I have, I have a scar that goes all the way around that toe to this day to where they had to reattach the toe. Wow. That's bizarre, Tim. So I don't know what happened there. And then when I was two years old, um, I suffered a major head injury. Uh, and I'm still not clear on that, how that happened. But supposedly I ran into some type of wooden beam or something oh. and, and I had to get you know lots of stitches and bleeding profusely. And uh, my uncle told me that they were wrapping towel after towel around my head. Um, so that was, so I think the devil was really trying to kill me from the beginning, to be honest with you. And uh, so then I found old family photos uh, that go as far back as 1968 when I was two. Mm -hmm. um, it was Christmas time, 68. My sister and I were in the photograph. My sister was 11 at the time. And she is to my left. We're seated behind a, a toy piano. I should have sent this photo over to you. Um, we're seated behind a toy piano. And to her left is this very tall, looks to be at least seven feet tall, black hooded entity. Now, that's 1968. Is this in the book, that, that picture? Yes. yes. Yes, I've seen that picture. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that was so, the then, yep. so then in 1969, uh, my dad took a Polaroid photo of me at age three. Uh, it looked like a sunny day. I'm standing in front of uh, bushes. And all of a sudden, Tim, it was that, and that's this is in the book as well. Mm -hmm. It was as if a dimensional doorway had opened up and all these different entities and beings were in the photograph with me. Humanoid figures standing single file behind me. Uh, gray alien standing my left to the left of that looked to be a Bigfoot type of Sasquatch, Sabe creature uh, above me looked to be this huge figure with the face of a lion. Uh, all these different types of, again, it was as if this doorway had opened at the precise moment that my dad had taken that Polaroid picture. So that's where it began supernaturally for me. And then by age four, uh, we moved into this house in Glen Burnie, Maryland, uh, in a community called Herondale that, um, Again, I feel that my parents were led there by evil forces. And then I found out my mother, Patricia Bean, had prior exposure to that area as a child. Her family moved around a lot, and they had lived in that very area uh, during her teen years. And um, so looking back on it, Tim, I really believe that my parents were led to that location, to that house where evil was already manifest and present the entire area. There are many other houses that had similar problems, but also there was a curse on my family because uh, I was told a story that two family members uh, over a hundred years ago conjured up demonic forces um, and they came and that door opened and they came and created a variety of damage on both sides of the family. And so when you have that recipe that has now been thrown up and invited in, it makes perfect sense to me why we would 
you know, be at that house and led to that house. And, um, it was a horrific, that's so, so my life, my childhood started in trauma. And, uh, you know, as I've just described one trauma after the other. And, um, so my dad was a master carpenter, William Bean, uh, senior. He, um, did a lot of renovation to the house, uh, made it look nice, but it still had this very ominous look and feel about it from the very beginning. And it continued throughout, um, also, another interesting thing to note is that in our house, we had these very solid walls. Um, in the other homes, and I've been in many of those homes in Herondale, they had paper-thin walls that I could take a fist or a, an elbow, a knee, any, it would go right through. Hmm. Not in this house. Yeah, And I found out that the previous occupants had built walls over top of the existing walls. Why? I've never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Were they trying to keep something in? I don't know, but I can tell you this, that you would enter in through the front door uh, and it was very dark in there. So the paneling was a dark brown, almost black in color, and it was always dark in there, even on the brightest of days. And um, it just had this, terrible feel and vibe about it. My mother was the first to have an experience in the house. It took place while she was unpacking uh, boxes and trying to organize. My dad had taken us with him uh, for the day to his parents' house to allow my mother to have peace. And it was during that uh, process that she felt a presence come into the room. She thought that it was my dad sneaking in to play a joke on her. And she spun around fully on anticipating on seeing him and her shock, nothing was there. So, so that's where it began with the activity in the house and uh, gradually escalated into violent physical attacks on us from those demonic entities for many, many years. It greatly contributed to the destruction of my family and, uh, and nearly destroyed me as well. I was having physical, I'd endured physical demonic attack between ages five and 12, wrap your head around that. But my mother who suffered worse than any other person I've ever seen in my life. Now I've helped thousands of people worldwide. Now I have yet to see somebody that suffered more than my own mother. Um, She greatly suffered and boy, oh boy, I don't know how she lived as long as she did Tim, because uh, the amount of attack that she was under on a daily basis in mind, body, and spirit was just absolutely off the charts. And your mother died at a young age from, it was a stroke, correct? Cerebral hemorrhage, yeah. She'd, uh, so my mother, two interesting things developed. Uh, not, my parents were married in 1956. My sister was born in 57. Another child was born in 63 who died under mysterious circumstances that I never could get to what exactly happened. But I do know that representatives from Johns Hopkins came to retrieve the body for studies. What does that mean? I don't know. I contacted Johns Hopkins and they said they don't have records on on file anymore. They don't have that anymore. So they couldn't give me that information. And um, uh, I was born in 1966 and my brother was born in 1969. And um, my parents were social drinkers. And back then in the 60s and 70s, you would the families would have house parties. uh, They would drink. They would smoke. Um, so that was the common norm 
for people back then in that era. But then not long after moving in, my dad's drinking began to escalate uh, to where he became a raging alcoholic who physically abused my mother on a regular basis between the years of 1973 and 1975, nearly killing her on several occasions. And as an eyewitness, Tim, and I can recall being eight years old, having to run to a neighbor's to get the police call on my father because he was killing my mother. Um, as an eyewitness to these things, I have 100% belief that when my father was under the, under the influence of alcohol, his frequency and vibration was lowered. Therefore, he was wide open and susceptible for demonic attack and for those demons to fuel his rage and anger against my mother. And that's why it was so severe. And uh, so I caution people this in the, uh, about this as well in the book that, you know, if you're under the influence of alcohol and or a drug, uh, alcohol is a word derived from alcohol, alcohol, which comes from Egypt. That means flesh-eating demon. That's why you see on the liquor stores, beer, wine, and spirits. There are spirits attached to that stuff. And uh, drugs, the uh, use and abuse of drugs, you come under the spirit of pharmakia, which is sorcery. So uh, we have to be very, very careful because if our frequency and vibration is being lowered like that, disastrous things can take place. And so in that, uh, in seeing that and experiencing that, between 1973 and 1975, it's miraculous in itself that he didn't kill her. And so he left us in 1975. And when he left, um, my mother then started coming under regular physical attack from these demonic entities. So she never got a break ever. And uh, it, it's, boy, if there's one thing that I wish that I could change, if I could go back in time right now, Tim, if there's one thing that I wish that I could change, it would be to go back and change the sufferings of my mother. Terrific. And for many years following that, I had any time that I had a dream of my mother, it was always in that house and it was always her being attacked. So it was very traumatic. I'd wake up in a sweat. My heart would be pounding. Uh, I, I had those dreams for many. I don't have them anymore. I'm thankful to God that I don't. Um, my, my parents and other departed family members, uh, come back to me in my dreams. I believe they come back to visit me and it's always very good and pleasant and loving and peaceful. And I'm thankful for that. But boy, for many years, Tim, it was horrible. Mm. So you, you haven't had a good experience where your mother's come back in a dream and now I do now, now you do okay. for many, many years. Okay. okay. Uh, before I became the spiritual warrior, um, it was all trauma because I was still in the fear-based trauma base. So therefore the devil had an opening to bring forth those as PTSD, you know, to bring right. forth those types right. of PTSD types of situations. It was agonizing for me for many years, but yeah. not anymore. Once I became that spiritual warrior and God transformed my life. Now I have visits in my dreams. And I mean, this is not dreams, Tim. These are vivid visits from my dearly departed loved ones that and it's always wonderful loving peaceful and i wake up feeling good that's good so there's your difference yeah, um, but yeah. it was hellish in in that life in that existence in that house the the only out and the, the first attack physical attack took place in 1970 it was 70 my sister was the first to experience a physical attack in the house and then 1971 that was the first experience for me at age five 
And, and those experiences carried on between age five and 12. Wow. There's a, a part in the book where you go to Florida to visit your dad after he had moved. Um, and you, you're well into, or you're, you're well into the, the spiritual attacks by then. And, and yeah. your mother's well into the attacks by then. And it's your, actually, it's your father's brother, your uncle, who tells you about how to ward off these spiritual attacks. Yeah, where does, that was a turning point for my life right there. It, definitely. Where does the knowledge come from for him? Because that seems pretty enlightened for a family member to give you that knowledge. I mean, that's, that's some pretty high knowledge coming from a family member. Where did he had, obtain it from? Yeah, he uh, is my uncle Clifford Bean. That was my father's older brother. And so um, my father left us in 1975 and he moved to Florida uh, to go to work uh, for my uncle. My uncle, uh, both my uh, father and uncle, they were trained by their dad, Clifford Bean Sr., uh, who worked 50 plus years on the uh, Pennsylvania Railroad, the hard as nails type of guy, was also a contractor. Mm -hmm. This man was blessed. He could do anything. I mean, he could build a house from the ground up. He could take an engine apart, put it back together. No matter what it was, he could do it and be successful. And he instilled that in his sons. He put them to work when they were, I think, 10 years old. Mm. Hard work. And uh, so both of the brothers, my dad and his brother, had the same type of skill set as their dad. And so he went to uh, there to Florida and, and went to work at his, uh, uh, my uncle Clifford's construction company. And, um, my uncle Clifford, I'm not exactly sure when it was in his life that he developed faith, but he did, uh, went into the military, both, both my dad and he had military stints, uh, at various or one time each in, in their, uh, younger years. And, uh, I don't know if it was while being in the military or before or during or whatever the case may be, he had suddenly developed tremendous faith and he became like um, a pillar of the community. He was um, the mayor of one of the towns down there. I think it was Niceville, Florida. Uh, he had a very high position in the community, in the church um, and was a great man. So he had great faith and, that visit, you know, I didn't even want to go there because I developed a burning hatred towards my father for everything that had happened, everything that he did. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to be anywhere he wanted to go. So I went with my brother begrudgingly. And it turned out to be the turning point in my life because I ended up in a conversation with my uncle about faith and, and how to take power and authority over those demonic forces. And little did I know that God was working through him to prepare me for my first battle against them. And before I get to that, I want to say that, you know, since that time, I'd forgiven my father for everything. I'm thankful for that because, uh, you know, my mom died at age 44 from a cerebral hemorrhage. She had a, a series of strokes, which ultimately led to kidney failure, um, which, you know, unfortunately led to her untimely death at age 44. Mm -hmm. My dad was shot to death at age 48. So neither of my parents lived to see the age of 50. And I'm thankful that I was able to forgive him before his untimely death. Um, and I love my father. He was a good man who made very bad decisions, but haven't we all? So mm -hmm. um, I forgive him for all those things. Uh, but um, it was it was so hellish, Tim, because uh, little did I know that I would return 
you know, the next day from Florida and I'm going to be engaging in my first battle against those demonic forces. And, and that took place. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you're so young though. When you do 13. so. Yeah. 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 I, and, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it, it was, I find it amazing that, you know, you just, you get this, this layman's lesson in exorcism and you, 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 you don't really have your wits about you. You're young and you, you, you come back and forgive the term here, but you're just full of piss and vinegar and anger. Yeah. And you, you, you step back into the situation you've been in, which is that your, your home is infested with demons four to be exact. And, and two things triggered that, um, so again, I'm, I'm in Florida. I have this lengthy discussion with my uncle and he gave me hope for the first time, you know, in my life prior to that, I had been victimized over and over and over and over. So I was so beaten down and that's what the devil does. He wants to, um, obviously kill Rob and destroy, but he wants to wear us down and wear us out to the point to where we give up, you know, we can't fight anymore. And that's how a full, uh, possession could take place. And, and so, you know, after this discussion, we come back home now. Before we got home, one thing happened, and that was our beloved dog, Fuzzy, little black poodle, um, not only had disappeared and never found again, but then the next day, you know, uh, my mother had a new man in her life at that time. His name was Richard. And um, Richard was very much like my father, you know, a rugged, tough guy. And, uh, but Richard was, physically attacked many times in the house as well and was terrified to be there. They wake up the next day and there's all these hunks and gobs and gobs and gobs of black hair, which they assume was Fuzzy's hair, you know, all in the bed, all around my mother, under the covers, going from the um, bed in and up the hallway, in the bathroom sink, in the kitchen sink. Horrifying. So that's one. And then, you know, return home, my mother tells me about that. Now I'm enraged, you know, I'm I'm sad, I'm enraged. And then the second thing was, um, we had a painting that hung on the wall for many years of my sister. It was a painting of a three-year-old girl, uh, innocent looking girl in a blue dress. It was like a pale blue dress. And uh, my mother got up one day and suddenly the painting had been changed and it looked like it had come to life. Um, looked like the eyes were alive. Uh, the, the, um, the smile had turned to a, like a, a wicked sneer type of thing. Uh, just completely changed. My mother took it off the wall, put it into the closet, I guess her bedroom closet. And, and so we're coming back now. And on that day of our arrival, uh, my mother's sister, Joyce, and her boyfriend were going to come over to look at the painting. Uh, Richard was there, and my grandmother, Harvey, my mother's mother, was also present. Uh, my brother went out to play. I'm 13 years old, five adults with me. My mother goes down to retrieve the painting, and there's this crash, and we hear all this, and she'd been picked up by an invisible force, hurled through the air, I want all of you to have this visualization. I mean, this really happened. Picked up by this invisible force, thrown through the air, landing into her makeup table. Uh, she was busted open. And my mother had cuts, bruises, scratches all over her, and she 
endured that for many years, you know, not only through beatings administered to her by my father, but then these demonic forces after he left. And so that was it, Tim, you know, and Richard and I helped my mother up. Richard wanted to take her to the hospital. She did not want to go to the hospital. And I became enraged. I was already enraged about the dog, but then that was the final straw. And I failed to mention that the last 16 months that we lived there, we had a Catholic priest involved. Uh, he was a, a regular to the house. He was uh, bringing mason jars full of holy water to the house. My family and I are not Catholic, but my step-grandfather was, and he went and contacted his church and they sent a priest out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Monsignor Hour was a good man with good intentions, and he did everything that he could do to try and help us. But uh, on that day, after that took place, and this happens sometimes when people are so victimized over and over and over again, they get pushed in the corner to where they can't be pushed any further. Yeah. They come out fighting, they snap. Yeah. And that's what happened to me on that day. And I was just, I can't describe to you in words how you know, all the years of abuse and, and being in that level of fear and trauma and torment, and suffering and oppression. And, and my mother, you know, far worse than I and other family members, it just all came to a head that day. And I remember now keep in mind, my parents believed in God, but we didn't go to church. I had no faith-based upbringing at all, except for what took place with my uncle Cliff. Um, had never more than skimmed over a Bible. So I didn't know any scriptures. And yet on that day, you know, I grabbed a Bible and a jar of holy water. And here's where I made my mistake. I should have been binding and rebuking and casting them out, but I commanded them to show themselves. And when I did that, Tim, it was like a horror film. It was like a horror film. Uh, things were falling off the walls. The house was vibrating. Doors were opening and slamming. I mean, it was all happening. Mm -hmm. And these adults were terrified. I mean, look, my mother's just suffered trauma again by being physically harmed by something that picked her up and threw her. Um, and the other adults are terrified and traumatized by this as well. And now everything that's starting to happen, you know, they're really terrified. I wasn't terrified. I was enraged. And so we walked up the hallway. They went in. So if you made, if you walked up the hallway, if you made a right, you would go into the dining room. And then off of that would be a little galley kitchen. Uh, they went into the dining room. I was in front of them in the living room. And I said again, I command you to show yourselves. And it was like a scene out of Star Trek. These greenish, yellowish beams of light materialized. And all of a sudden, these four entities manifest. This one entity looked like, a, and we'd seen him many times, and he was, they were all attackers to mm -hmm. my mother, but uh, he had a black suit, black hair, chalky white skin, beard, uh, black eyes. The second entity, uh, another one that was regularly abusing my mother, uh, red curly hair, um, short red curly hair, chalky white skin, black eyes, had a scar, a long scar going down the side of his face. Mm. Then the third entity looked like a witch, a female black gown, long, dark hair, sharp facial features. And then the fourth entity is what I call the dark force entity, which was a hooded entity with glowing red eyes. We saw them clearly for, I would say, at least three seconds. And then they just dissipated. They didn't just suddenly vanish. 
they just like dissipated. And, and when they did, all the chaotic things that were happening in the house suddenly stopped. And we ended up leaving there and going to Richard's house for the weekend. And then we came back. But that was the beginning of my spiritual warfare uh, against those entities. And I'm telling you right now, I, I yes, I was angry, was enraged. I uh, was so sick of being abused and seeing my mother abused. But when it was over and the adrenaline started wearing off, I, I felt like I was going to faint or my knees were buckling. You know, it was just, just otherworldly. And I praise God for, even though I went about it the wrong way, I'm thankful that he was still there with me to keep us all safe because that really could have gone bad by me. Because really, when, you, when you're commanding something to show themselves, that's another part of invitation, invocation, although that was not my intent, but it was the same, you know, just the same. Um, so disastrous, horrific things could have resulted. I'm curious here, Bill, because you're you're stating here you were at a a very very tender moment where anything could have gone wrong right uh, yeah and at that moment they have shown themselves they had to have known you might have been somewhat vulnerable so why dissipate why disappear did they see the potential in you that you could I have been more powerful did they see that there was a, a source more powerful than you in the room that Correct. could have taken over what and was it that made them why, disappear Tim, that's why all this has happened i now again do i know this to be true or for sure i don't know but this is my theory and speculation again on this i believe and i truly believe it now before i came into this world god put this task on me to be a spiritual warrior I believe it 100% because I could not be where I'm at right now and helping others had I not been there to suffer. So this was all necessary. All of it. Because you cannot help people who are suffering in high levels of trauma unless you've suffered high levels of trauma yourself. So on that day, to answer your question, I absolutely believe that those entities saw the angels that were around me that were giant warrior angels that posed a significant threat to them. And that's why they dissipated. And that's why it didn't go any further. I truly believe that. Okay. Okay. From there, um, it's a matter of you figuring out and finding out and developing what you need to develop in order to do your craft and in order to help others and, and develop others. And again, that's in the book. Um, I want to kind of move things along a little bit here uh, sure. because we're running out of time here. You um, and I could talk for hours and hours. So yeah, we could. I mean, we're, we, we'd run out of time like that. We could. I want to address one of the things that you addressed and we've addressed it a little bit here in the, in the uh, program, but I want to, I want to uh, talk a little bit more about it because there is a certain classification you've made here in the book about ufos and aliens we started to talk about it a little bit uh, but i want to get further into it you've had sure. quite a few ufo sightings you said between 1995 and even within the past few years in those in those currently yeah, yeah i mean I, yeah. I think the last one i had was december 7th 
of yeah. this year. Yeah. Just, just a little while ago. This is December 21st. So the last one was December 7th. And even you yourself stated just a few minutes ago that, that there's a reason for this ramping up. Now, you've put them in a little bit different classification. You've even said that some of these may be good and some of these not so good. Um, yeah. If I could get you to expound a little bit on the good and not so good, um, you know, I, I know you you stated it in the book as to some of these that could be good, and you believe that you you come up with an interesting theory here in the book, and I I had uh, Terry Ling Keel on last week. And one of the things she said, I want to bring up this theory with you, and, and then I want you to expound off of her theory. And that was this. I was talking to her about, uh, should an event happen where aliens show up on Earth, and let's say they were to land on the White House lawn, okay, and the president were to introduce them to the, the public at large and say, these are our extraterrestrial friends, we've been working with them all along, how the earth were to react to an event like this and how we were to treat them. You know, would people go nuts? Would they just go, oh, we knew they were, you know, we were working with them all along. Would there be acceptance? What exactly would happen? And I said, you know, there's the way we would treat them and the way the church would treat them. Oh, yeah. And so I said, and then I, I, I reminded her, I said, if you remember, our Pope at one time had said that, and he said it kind of tongue-in-cheek. He said, well, you know, any species from any galaxy would be welcome to be baptized by the Catholic Church. Um, you know, ha, 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 ha. Uh, they're all brothers and sisters under God, and, you know, you know, kind of tongue-firmly-in-cheek, uh, but they'd be welcome to be baptized. Um, but he kind of said it with a sense of humor. Like, ah, it'll never happen. There's no such thing as, as other species out there. But if there were, wink, wink, they could be baptized. I think the church didn't take it too seriously. But here was my question to Terry, and I'll throw this out to you as well, Bill. It looks like the Pope's about to get a huge surprise, especially with these unveiling of videos from the government. Yeah, uh, with more and more sightings being uh, happening daily, and the government, as you put it so eloquently in the beginning of the program, seeking out other people's help in in some of these sightings and saying, "Hey, what have you seen? Tell us what it is you see." Especially in these videos that we're releasing, and you tell us what you've seen. Show us your evidence of of some of this stuff because we can't explain it. The only thing they haven't asked for is evidence of abductions. They don't. They want to go somewhat far, but not too far. So, what does the church say when all of this is revealed? When it all comes out in the wash? When disclosure happens? How does that change the church's dogma? How do they? How do they say aliens fit into? their entire story because then it isn't that humans are special anymore is it or is it because terry had an interesting answer i'll tell you what terry's answer is in a second well i think that uh they know a lot more 
I think there's so much information in those Vatican archives and other places. They know the truth. They, they know. Uh, I believe, again, that Yahweh created all life, including those lives as well. And, and are they on other planets? They certainly could be. Are they in the inner earth? Yes, I believe that as well. Um, are some in line with Yahweh and the Elohim? Yes, I can believe that. Are others uh, in line with the devil and his satanic kingdom? Yes, especially the reptilian species uh, and others. Um, are there some that are neutral to everything? It's possible. Um, whatever the case may be, Tim, this phenomenon is very real, and it ties in with everything. I think that, you know, say tomorrow, if, if you know, such a huge event took place, and then everything's revealed, uh, I think that a lot of the populace, especially the younger people, would easily accept, even if these entities were evil, they would embrace and accept. Then you have some of the older population, some of those people would be committing suicide. Um, they would faint. Their hearts would fail them. Scripture talks about that. Um, and then you have others in the evangel uh, evangelical community um, that, by and large, um, the evangelical community would reject this. And they would say, hey, these are fallen angels. These are not good. They are part of the um, last days here that the Antichrist will be revealed, and they're going to usher in the Antichrist. Um, I can't say any of these things for sure, other than to say from personal experience, I have had many divine experiences pertaining to UFOs, but I've also had many demonic experiences as well. So I've had times to where um, I've had five of these objects as if escorting me down the road, as crazy as that may sound. It's true. And then I've had other times to where I was in dark, empty places on dark roads in the middle of the night to where I felt like my life was in danger. Hmm. I have been taken... Uh, I had, um, and it's in the book, 1997, uh, an entity manifested at the foot of my bed, and I was taken someplace else. And I had a man in black experience there where this guy was uh, in a black suit seated to my left. And it was like we were sitting in the backseat of a car. It's what it felt like to me. And um, he turned his head to the right, did not turn his body. His body stayed stiff and rigid. He turned his head to the right and looked at me and said, don't talk about this. Whoa. And so I've had, believe me, it, when I say that I've had a plethora of these types of experiences, I have. I had another, and I know we're running out of time, but I, I shot video one day, and I think it was in 1999, beautiful sunny day. And you can hear me, I'm not in front of the camera. I had a camcorder on a tripod. When I did that, these objects would come. And I would get them. I've shot over 16 hours of video footage of them. But um, I said, you can hear me on camera saying, praise God for this beautiful day. 
Now, I'm standing there facing the northern part of the sky. Mm-hmm. There's not a cloud in the sky, Tim. Okay. All of a sudden, this, and I didn't see it, but the camera saw it. And when I reviewed the footage, I saw it. I'm standing right there. I'm looking in the sky just like the camera is. This object that looked like a big cloud. So I guess the object was inside of the cloud. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's moving and it's banking. It's banking on an angle. And it comes over silently right in front of me in the sky, right in front of the camera. I should have saw it, Tim. It was right in front of me. I did mm-hmm. not see it. Camera saw it. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it sat there and it broke into five white balls of light and then silently headed back uh, to the north and gone. And then another time, uh, I think it was somewhere around maybe 98, somewhere that I wrote about it in the book, Mm-hmm. I was feeding the birds one morning, and uh, this object came down out of the sky, another beautiful day. This object, it was silver chrome uh, disc, had the, the center was hollow. It came down. Just imagine like uh, when you see in the, the Catholic uh, um, imagery of Jesus and the apostles and things like you always saw that sun disc. Yeah, that's really what it looked like. And it was but it was chrome and it was brilliant and it it was a hole in the center. It came down to about 10 feet off the ground, no sound whatsoever. And it went right back up. Wow. I've had so many experiences that and I've had other experiences to where I'm recent to where I'm standing at my window and I'm seeing these objects in the sky and I start praising God, Yahweh. And all of a sudden, as I'm praising him. The objects, the light just explodes and explodes. So they're responding to me praising Yahweh. Interesting. I'll tell you why I find that interesting. Um, because when, when I read that in the book, it didn't contradict what Terry said, but it, it was not in line with one of the things that Terry said on the program. This is what she said. She is in firm belief that these creatures are not in line with with Yahweh, but th- that they are almost all demonic. And she believes that these abductions and that these these whatever it is that these things are doing are part of some demonic agenda, for lack of a better term. And when we were talking about abductions and hybridization programs she believed that they were trying to do something and and trying to do something to get closer to humanity and closer to god because she doesn't believe that they have a pure soul or that they if they have a soul it's not akin to a human soul it's more like an animal soul so in other words when they die they don't go to heaven so they couldn't i would certainly agree with you know what she's saying to a degree, mm-hmm. uh, yes, there, I do believe that there are many of those entities that are exactly that way. But I also know, having had the personal experience, that there are other beings that are, you know, of Yahweh and of good and light. I believe that one hundred percent. But I do okay. agree with what she, you know, her, her theory there and, and hypothesis there about that. Yeah, and I furthermore, I believe that some of those evil entities are working with shadow governments that are doing these experiments in laboratories underground. And this has been going on for a long time. 
And uh, so, yes, it is very sinister. But I will say this, like you said earlier in our interview, God's going to triumph over all of this. So uh, I would urge all of you, and we're running out of time now, but I, I guess my parting words would be, please consider what I'm saying and develop a real authentic relationship with God. Therefore, you can be under his covering and you can be protected you know, from these things that are here and things that are coming. You want to be on the right side of things when this all comes down. And to do that, you again, you said to have a, a genuine, authentic relationship with God. To do that, and pe- to get an idea of that, people can go to your website. Your website, again, is? Yeah. BillJBean.com. Okay. And we'll have a link to that uh, on the uh, description of this program, along with a, a link to get the book and by all means folks pick up the book because it's a great book uh my life transformation from victim to victor uh bill i want to thank you so much again my friend for being on my pleasure and um by the time everybody sees this i hope all of you out there had a a wonderful and blessed uh christmas and i wish all of you a happy 2024 and brother tim thank you so much as always for having me and, and merry christmas to you and your family And uh, may 2024 be the greatest year of your life until 2025. Thank you uh, again, brother. And again, folks, if you feel like uh, you are being um, tormented or you're you're being uh, oppressed and you do need help, you can contact Bill at BillJBean.com. So a reminder for that as well. I want to thank Bill Bean for being on the program today. The book is My Life Transformation from Victim to Victor. It is in the description of this program. We have a link to it. You can go order that book right now. I encourage you to go read that book. Uh, If anything, if you are one of those people who is uh, under the... If you are one of those people being abused, if you feel like you're being oppressed, if you feel like... You're in a rut in life, and maybe you need a way out or you need some inspiration to get out. This is one of those books that you can pick up, you can read, and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know it's one of those books that you can you can feel the veil lifting off of you, that veil of oppression lifting off of you when you read Bill's story. And I know as well, if you feel like you are under oppression, Bill is is easy enough to get a hold of, and he's given you that address. We'll have that address in the description of this program as well, his website address, so that you can get a hold of Bill uh, to get some help with uh, oppression. I know a lot of people roll their eyes when it comes to, oh, everything's a demon, everything's a demon. I'm not asking you to believe in demonic oppression or possession. Although I myself believe it's very real. I've seen some very real things in my lifetime. Now, whether you want to roll your eyes at me or not, you can. I I don't care. Uh, I've seen some things at Waverly Hills. I've seen a whole vial of holy water disappear in front of my eyes, right in front of my eyes, in front of a whole group of people. There's no way to explain that. And at the same time, smelling what smelled like sulfur and scat in front of my senses. I don't know how to explain things like that, folks. I I don't know, other than the presence of something demonic, I don't know how you explain those things. That's not psychosis. That's not group psychosis. That's not 
something that you can want to try to explain away from hundreds of miles away in an email to me. And you can try, certainly, Tim at DarknessRadio.com. Give it your best shot if you'd like. I don't know how you explain that otherwise. I've had other experiences in my time investigating that I don't know how you explain that. Now, is everything a demon when you investigate the paranormal? Absolutely not. In fact, most of the time it's not. But I never discount the fact that there is such a thing as demons. It has happened. It is rare, but it does happen. And likewise, you can open that portal and you can invite them in. It does happen. I think people are too laissez-faire with that. And they do happen to be too lazy with the cautions that they need to take when they're investigating the paranormal. When, when you talk to a demonologist, they are very careful. And they know the dangers. And they have to come up and clean up people's messes. And you wouldn't believe how many emails and communiques I get throughout the year from people saying, I'm in real trouble. Well, yeah, you are. That's all I have to say. Yeah, you are. And I'm not saying, I'm not pointing back at that person, but, you know, there's. it's one thing to be enthralled with the paranormal. It's another to want to point out the quote-unquote science of it, although I kind of chuckle when people say we need to focus on the science of it, and you've got a lot of people running around saying that they're interested in the science of it but don't want to crack a science book. That's, that's kind of laughable, too, just as laughable as people who laugh at demons. But I'll get off that soapbox. The fact of the matter is, is demons are, whether you like it or not, there's something very real to demons. There's something very real, just as there's something very real to good in the universe. It's something very good to, very real about good and miracles. Miracles are as real as, as demons. If you think that something very real can come into your life and something very real can happen to you, something very good, and good luck can change or good fortune can change at the drop of a hat, well, there has to be something to balance in this life. There has to be balance to everything in the universe. Whether you call it universal law, whatever you want to call it, it is what it is. I wanted to end this week, not on this down note that I'm giving you right now, but I wanted to end this this week on an up note. And that's why I brought Bill here. Bill truly is a walking, talking miracle. He was headed down a path with his family and his family's curse, for lack of a better term, into a really bad life and brought himself to, and his family, he brought his whole family with him to a much better place. Even though his family, his, his parents died young, they eventually escaped that oppression, as did Bill. And Bill has gone on to help other people escape oppression. He's turned his life around to help others, which is uh, quite the inspiration. When he's become a, that exorcist, that spiritual deliverance minister, that person who inspires people, who when they do need help, when they're on their last legs, when they think there's no other force in this universe that can help them, 
he brings them that force, which is amazing. I think it's very inspiring and, and incredibly positive. And I, I look to Bill when I think there's no other answers either. So I'm, I'm incredibly honored that he came on the program to get today and, and brought a positive ending to my Christmas week. That's, that's the way I look at it. Next week on the program, more good stuff. We're, we've got an incredible new year for you. And, and I would hope that as we're facing the end of 2023, that you've had a good 2023. You know, I, I don't know how your year is shaped up. I know it's been an unusual year. It seems like as we're getting deeper into the 2020s, it's been in a little a bit of an unusual decade, hasn't it? Um, I would ask this. Uh, whether you're going out, you're partying, you're having a good time, or and and toasting midnight, or if you're sitting at home and being reflective, or you're spending time with family, either of those scenarios, that you take a moment before midnight on New Year's Eve and you be reflective and and think about what it is you want to move forward with in 2024 how it is you want to impact the world, the world around you, the world that is your friends and family, the world in general. What mark do you want to make on the world in general in 2024? Not necessarily a resolution. A resolution to me is pie in the sky. To me, before New Year's now, I think about what kind of mark do I want to make in that year? Did I make the mark I wanted to make in 2023? Yeah, sort of. I want to make a better mark in 2024. So publicly, I'll put it out there. I'll put it out there to the universe. In 2024, I want the voice of this program to reach more ears. I want it to make more of an impact on more hearts and minds. And I want it to raise more questions to those hearts and minds so that they can ask more questions back and get more questions answered. That's my goal for this show and for me because I feel like there's more that can be done. You know, when when there's a debate within the paranormal community, the debate is, it's to me, an empty debate because they say, well, you know, paranormal TV is dead, and, and paranormal in, in general is dead. Well, no, it's not. It, all that's dead is your interest in it. Your interest in the same old ghost hunting shows. But you're not doing anything constructive to tell the networks what it is you want to see. If you don't want to see a reenactment and entertainment shows, if you don't want to see the same old ghost hunting shows, then what is it you want to see? You know, I ask you guys on a weekly basis to tell me what it is you want to see. Yet I get very few emails telling me what it is you want to see and hear on the show. I think there's confusion as to the questions of what it is you have that you want answered. I think sometimes people take a know-it-all type of attitude as to what they think they know as far as the paranormal. I think they think they have it all answered. Folks, January 1st, 
2024 is our 18th anniversary. It marks the beginning of the 19th season of the show. This year, we'll have done, what, 156 shows? 157 shows? That's 157 shows of doing questions. Question after question after question. Now, I would challenge you. Can you as a human being sit down for hours at a time? 300 and some hours of asking questions about the paranormal? It's not easy. But I did it. And I did it for you. Do you think that it can be done? Is there that much material on the paranormal? There has to be, right? The question of life and death is eternal. They've been questioning it since the beginning of time. What's on the other side? Where do we go when we die? What happens to us? They're such simple questions. Yet the mechanics are so difficult. And the theories are endless. Yet we want to put ourselves in boxes based on religion or on our spiritual beliefs. We make ourselves complicated where maybe the answers are simple. We don't know. There's no way to know. But as long as this show exists, we have the fun idea that we can ask different questions of different people who have studied theories, who maybe have gone to school for it. Maybe they've had the religious background of it. Maybe they've taken different roads. And we can ask them that. That's the fun thing we get to do. We get to go down those roads. We can do it from a safe distance. And we can fold it up in a nice little package. We can put it away. That's one podcast. And we can move on the next week and we can ask a different set of people, a different set of questions. And that's the great research we can do from this listening device that you're listening to right here. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a cool gift? I love doing this show. That's why. Because we're not bound by anything. That's what frustrates me from seeing people online, and pardon my language, bitch and complain about paranormal TV and formats, and I don't like this show anymore, I don't like that show anymore. Or even some people who get uptight in reviews. Well, I didn't like this guest, so I gave you two stars. Well, you gave me two, two stars for a guest. There's another guest coming tomorrow. There's another guest coming in two days. We'll listen to that guest and we'll see what happens. So in 2024, let's do our best to go back, back down that road. Let's do our best to find more avenues. So my challenge to you is, Figure out what it is that you want out of this paranormal journey. What is it you want to learn about? And then let me know. I want to know what you want out of this. I want to get to more ears, minds, hearts. And I want to present more to them. 18 years is a long, long time, folks. And I can keep bringing the same subjects to you. 
and I can keep finding new subjects for you. But I want to hit home with you. I want to ring true with you. I want my finger on the pulse of what rings true with you as well. I can't do that unless I know what you're thinking. So that's my challenge to you as we get into 2024. The other challenge I have for you as you're sitting there and you're reflecting on 2024, not only as you're reflecting on how you're going to be better in 2024, what you're going to leave, what kind of impact you're going to leave on the world, what you want out of your paranormal journey, is what kind of journey you want to have as a person. How you're going to get back to this world, I think I mentioned that before, but but how you're going to get back to your community as well. How to be a better person. Now, you don't have to necessarily become a philanthropist and, you know, put, you know, 20% of your income back into the community or anything like that, but just basically how you're going to reach out to your neighbors and be a better neighbor. Because, again, folks, it seems like the world gets darker and darker. We need to be a light in that darkness in 2024. Because it just seems like, as I look around our community, as we get into January here, man, every time I turn around, somebody, somebody is killing somebody. Somebody's hurting somebody. Somebody's not even taking a second thought. There's road rage out there left and right. People aren't caring about people. I would rather care first, open my hand, and not close my fist. And think of other human beings that way first. So let's think about what we're going to do for our neighbor, not to our neighbor in 2024. So that's it. I'm getting off my soapbox. That's it for today's program. Uh, the next time I see you, I believe, will be in 2024 and will be an anniversary week. Got lots of good surprises for you in January. I want to thank you guys so much for being such good listeners in 2023 and for continuing on this journey. I love you guys so much. You have no idea. I want to say thank you to Beer City Bruiser, to uh, Jessica Freeberg, and to Mally Fox for being such great co-hosts. And again, I want to thank you guys, the audience, for uh, continuing to invest in this program. We're continuing to tweak things a little bit and make things the best we can. If you have suggestions, Tim at darknessradio.com. I'm always open to suggestions from you guys. So thank you so much. We'll see you next week for the best in paranormal talk radio. This is Darkness Radio.